This is Nia. Hi, this is Nia, and I'm looking for a big name. You found it, my friend. You found it. <laughs> Hi, Nia. It's Nia with the Small Talk Big Names podcast. How are you? I am terrific, my friend. How are you? Amazing. First of all, how excited am I to introduce to the Small Talk Big Names family my <laughs> podcasting coach? <laughs> She's reaching, friends. She's reaching. And she got it. She reached for it and she got it. It was it was it was tough to get you to sign up to to go yeah. on this journey with me. And and I fought you, I kicked you. I'm pretty sure I ran a few times. I ignored calls, but you stayed on me, Nia. And because of you, Small Talk Big Names was born. Well, I'm very proud of you. It certainly was your effort and your energy. So I take no credit for it whatsoever. So Nia, you are, you're Nia Perry, you're formerly Nia Phillips. You left the A, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, who'd have thought that you left the A because what the A is, is you, right? You are an honest representation of Atlanta, right? This big city, this big little city in Georgia. You leave us for a bit, you travel throughout North America, you start a family, <laughs> you're now back in the A. We want to mm-hmm. know, we want to know everything. Right. Like, oh, my people want to know everything because everyone's looking for answers from honest folk who are comfortable to share that. And, you know, you and I have talked about it. Right. It's not it's not what you see on YouTube where as soon as you, you know, log in or subscribe to someone's channel, it seems like they wake up every day perfect and their lighting is perfect and their lives are perfect. Their cars are always clean and their kids are always behaved. Right. That's Mm -hmm. not reality, but a lot of people forget that it's not because they get so lost in the color and the glitz and the glam and the shiny things that's calling for their attention. They actually pull themselves out of their reality and create a new one. Very true. Mm -hmm. Very true. I mean, mm -hmm. go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that's the culture of social media, right? That's Mm -hmm. where we are. Um, And as a marketer, I 100% see it every day. I see where people really transform who they actually are Mm -hmm. and create a persona um, and an image that really doesn't always align with who they truly are. I think you said it exactly right. First of all, from a marketer's perspective, this is very intentional, right? Like, let's be clear. This was decided in a boardroom somewhere and then taken into smaller groups. And a group of people were like, this is what we want people to feel. Therefore, this is what we're going to tell them that they're feeling. And we're going to ingrain it enough that they are, they check in their feelings with us, right? So if we're having a bad day, they're having a bad day. If we're having a good day, they're having a good day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, also it's, you know, these platforms were built on the idea of community. They were built on the idea of group think, Mm -hmm. which is commonplace. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, having that sort of idea of the need to belong Mm -hmm. and the need for sort of having a community, um, real or perceived, Mm -hmm. right? Community. Mm -hmm. Um, And knowing that people, you know, really go along to get along Mm -hmm. has really catapulted these platforms in a way that um, I don't even think that they anticipated, frankly. Mm-hmm. And he's, I've heard, um, you know, Zuckerberg talk about that. Like, he, the Facebook became far more than he could have ever thought of or imagined. So mm-hmm. it's not mm-hmm. surprising. This the, the 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 pace and the trajectory has just been off the charts. Yeah, I would love for us to get into that. Um, I like where you're going with community, right? There's a commoditization of community. 
where mm-hmm. it's almost like you have to pay your way in and you don't pay your way, not necessarily with money. Now, of course, there are communities where you're paying away with money. And I'm talking about community in the fictional sense. Right. But you're paying with your attention span. Right. right. And you're paying with like your brain space. So it's an even higher cost than the actual cost of real estate. If you think about it, because once it goes off, once it's shut down, people crash. Right. Just like the stock market, people crash once they stop believing in that person that they've kind of liked and subscribed to. And that person Mm. does something that they find to be offensive. They Mm -hmm. crash because Mm -hmm. that person has become their family, even though they've never touched them. They've never met them. Who's on the other end has no idea who you are. You're part of one point five million followers. Exactly right. You know, and I think there is a bit of that sort of. Um, you, you mentioned once you're off, you crash. Mm-hmm. There's an element of that sort of that dopamine hit that you get when, mm-hmm. you know, you get those likes or, you know, that sort of engagement that mm-hmm. you want that um, sorts to define you in a really unfortunate and warped way because mm-hmm. it's not real. It's not real. It's not real. Mm-hmm. And then what happens just to, you know, continue on the same path, what happens is you're not getting those hits, those likes, mm-hmm. those shares. Um how does that affect your mental health? How mm-hmm. does that affect your capacity, your self-worth, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and your capacity to think beyond what others are saying of you um, and you can't really determine what's true or not. So it's, it gets really deep, actually. It's crazy that you that you related to a dopamine hit because, you know, in the medical industry, it's called getting dope sick. Right. Mm. So once you're no longer getting that hit, first of all, as you're getting mm. the hit, your tolerance, mm. your tolerance grows. Right. So you're always right. connecting it. That's yeah. why a lot of people experiment. After a certain point, they're just experimenting. It's exactly. like, you mean, you mean if we spray Raid on top of it and add some cinnamon dust, it's going to take Jeez. us somewhere? And they do it, right? And wow. then the next conversation is, let's do Raid and putty. Hmm. Right? Hmm. Let's do Raid, mm-hmm. putty, ginger, and dry ice. And it just keeps yeah. going. And, and when they crash or when they try to pull away from it, they get dope sick. And the yeah. only thing that can pull you out of being dope sick, it's actually more dope because that's the thing that your body has grown accustomed to and relies on for that source of energy to, ke- to keep it's just the system running. Right. So dope sick is real. But even though, listen, we haven't even we're just getting started. I've not even gone to my intro <laughs> music. I got to call the band. And hey, if you're just joining us, this is Tanisha with the Small Talk Big Names podcast. I'm so excited to introduce to the world my podcasting coach, Nia Perry, who was the purveyor of Gradient Collective. Check her out. The podcast is still live. And you are in for a treat because not only are we going to learn about her and how she and I met and fell in love, but what she's doing now and kind of what her what her goal is for for everyone that she comes in contact with. I think from a marketer's mm. perspective, there's a lot that we can learn in how we're receiving and perceiving information. So if you're just joining us, stay tuned. All right, Nia, let's get this started. Welcome to the Small Talk Big Names podcast with your host, Niger. The show where I introduce you to big names, big ideas, and big lessons in the amount of time it will take you to get through Atlanta traffic. Guests will share with us their detours in life and decisions to follow roads less traveled. So if you have a moment, let's get into some small talk. All right, y'all. Nia. Thank you for taking so up our call. You're so fancy, friend. You're so super fancy. fancy honey. Super fancy. 
got a got a hundred year old intern. My grandma was like, "I'll take the job." I'm obsessed. That's it. I and it. I was like, <laughs> "If anybody between the two of you and I, between the two of you, know how to have a conversation, it's a hundred year old." Okay. It's like mm-hmm. grandma text me back. Do what? Grandma, LOL. That's what perfect. the hell does that mean? You know, for the longest, my mom thought LOL was uh, lots of love. So she Aww. would, yeah. So she would send it in these text messages when she was learning oh how to text. And I was like, Mom, what's so funny? And then my siblings are like, that wasn't funny. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with her? Come to find out. She thought it was lots of love. I love that. Oh, and I'm crazy. almost going to adopt it. It's mine now. Thanks, oh, Mom. Oh, gosh. She's, <laughs> she's on something else, y'all. But she, she has graduated. I'll tell you a funny story before we get into it. So I used to think my mom was the worst, right? But for some reason, I always wanted to upgrade her technology because it keeps her connected with us and the grandkids and the great grands and all of that. So um, she's always getting like the latest and the greatest, whether it be like the iWatch, you know, the latest iPhone, um, mm-hmm. earbuds, things like that. And I would always have to be her help desk. Again, why, why am I putting myself in this position? Because mo- I want my mom mm-hmm. to be cool and I want her to be up to date, right? I don't want her to miss mm-hmm. a beat. But then I end up being a help desk and then I'm regretting the decision. Yep. So Familiar. I, exactly. So after <laughs> thinking she's the worst, right? I get on a call with someone um, in county government. And I'm, you know, she and I, I'm trying to figure something out. She's helping me out. Very helpful. Customer service on a 10. Conversation is great. Clearly, she's older, right? Because she, the conversation was just that good where we're getting things done and we're having small talk. So she says, so what's your email address? Let me email this to you. So I'm giving her my email address. In the middle of giving her my email address, Nia, she says, wait a minute, I got a question. Now, most people would think, oh, wait, you know, could you spell that again? Did I miss a letter? Did I overhear this? Is that a number? You know, that's what you're thinking. Because those are the normal things that you hear when someone's like, hold on one second, I got a question. So I say, no, go ahead. She asked me, if the N in my name was capitalized in my email. And Nia, I called my mom right away. And I just apologized (laughs) for thinking that she, that she was on the bottom of the list. I told her, mom, you went all the way to the top. That woman took you all the way to the top. And she was like, no, no, no. See, I'm not that bad. No, let me tell you something. Mm. Admittedly, the pace of technology is astronomical. So I extend grace wherever (laughs) I can. Because it moves at a at a pace that no one can really keep up with. Let's just agree. talk about that. I would agree. You know, so yeah. No, I think that that's very fair, and that's, I appreciate you taking up for my mom. So if, my, <laughs> if she's listening, mom, you are no longer at the bottom. You are at the top because when that lady asked me if my email address was capital N. I knew right. then we have so much more work to do. My mom is way ahead of the curve. So let's get into it. Nia let's Perry, where are you from? Ah, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Brooklyn. I must always do that, specifically mm-hmm. bed bed style. Brooklyn uh, Zoo. Shame on you are, when you step exactly, into mm-hmm. exactly as you should, as you should. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, I am from, you know, growing up in the early '80s in New York City was, you know, a place of sort of. Um, Certainly not where it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you know, crack in the eighties in, in New York City was really an epidemic. Mm-hmm. You know, you'd grow up seeing all the different color, you know, crack vial caps walking down the street, and it was real. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then you know the shift happened. You know, when real estate in New York City in this in Manhattan 
um, you know, just got to be quite a bit for, let's just say, white people. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they had to start looking elsewhere. And they went right outside of the city into communities within um, different boroughs, specifically Brooklyn, where it was an easy, quick commute. Just mm -hmm. it was, you know, just as easy to get there that like you would be coming from inside of the city to come from outside of the city. Mm -hmm. And when I say city, meaning New York, Man Manhattan specifically, because, you. you know, Brooklyn is um, part of New York City. But if you're a local, actually from there, we call Manhattan the city. And so, um, yeah, the, the expansion and the changes started happening pretty at a, at a rapid pace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now when you go back to New York, specifically Brooklyn, it's a different community altogether. Um, there are coffee shops where there were not, where there were bodegas. <laughs> You know, where there were sort of rundown mom and pop retail shops, there were now there are, you know, sort of dog um, grooming centers mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. in downtown Brooklyn looks like Times Square now, which that was never the case before. Yeah. So it's changed quite a bit. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be from there for sure. Yeah, as you, as you should be, right? I mean, Brooklyn is it's it's beautiful. New York is beautiful in and of itself, and yeah. whether it's been whether it's the Big Island and the surrounding boroughs. I mean, what you if you're flying when you're flying into New York, prepare for your oh, entire man. life to be elevated. Right, it's, it's the sounds, it's the smells, it's the just yeah. like you said, you know, the the restaurants, the cafes. It's so alive. It is, and if you're not used to it at three a.m., you're like, why aren't these people asleep? Like it's almost yes. like the, the neighborhood is just waking up at 3 a.m. But guess what? It's the neighborhood true. is just waking up at every hour of the day that's in right. New York. I mean, that's why it's called the city that never sleeps. The city that never true. sleeps. Yeah. The, the city's so yeah. big. It was named twice, right? New York, New York. Um, exactly. <laughs> tell me about, tell me about your parents. My parents, my father um, was an immigrant from, is an immigrant. Um, he lives back in Trinidad now, but he's from Trinidad originally. Um, shout out to all my Trini, Trini Massive. Oh, I'm a West Indian family. Um, you know, an immigrant that came, you know, um, like many other immigrants that came to New York City for more opportunity, mm -hmm. a better place um, to raise a family, to really create a life. My father is really a Renaissance man, um, fine artist, writer, poet, um, you know, just really an inspirational character. I can kind of share a little bit more about him, you know, later if we have more time, but um, came to the, you know, America, came to New York City, eventually met my mother, who is from the South, uh, from Mississippi specifically, spent a little time in San Antonio, Texas as a child, um, and, you know, came to New York City for the same things, was ready to get out of small town, um, and found herself in New York City, where they met through my uncle, actually another fine artist, uh, Shea Baraka, um, and met at a gallery. And as they say, the rest is sort of history. <laughs> so they got married. Um, you know, they've since divorced since that time. But, you know, I think having, you know, my father, Dewad Phillip, who is an incredible writer, as I mentioned, incredible fine artist, um, was really and is really one of these people that is super charismatic, knows everyone in New York, mm -hmm. like just knows a ton of people. You remember my dad? Oh, your dad. You remember awesome. my dad? Let me tell you something. <laughs> my father, he's like the man. He like is. people, people friends of my age like i've had to beat friends off of my father i'm like i need you all to back up 50 feet, <laughs> just 50 relax feet. 
please relax. Yeah. You know, um, I remember here's an, this is a classic example of my father's coolness, right? So um, graduation from Clark Atlanta University, mm-hmm. right? Um, it rained torrentially and we were out in like that main sort of yard area mm-hmm. at, where, you know, kind of where Spelman, Morehouse and Clark Atlanta all convene and mm-hmm. that sort of really sacred space. And so that's where the, um, the graduation was held and my father had on, again, it was raining. It had just stopped raining. It was muddy. My father was wearing a white linen suit and didn't get a drop of mud on him. And so everyone is like, yo, your father is the man, yo. How did he, how did he, how did he manage to not get any mud on him whatsoever? And everyone, you know, they're struggling with their heels and the whole thing. So that is just one example of, you know, his cool factor and really, um, just the kind of person that he was and it really attracted he attracted just who he is and yeah. his and his his um and the way he thinks about things and his pontification mm-hmm. and his depth of character and depth of thought you know is really a special a special person to be raised by my mother Narissa um an educator for many many years she was in the classroom for many years and then uh, worked her way to become like a almost like a teacher's counselor mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. so she taught other teachers how to be good teachers mm-hmm. and um and so then she went was on she to was an education influencer she was she mm-hmm. really essentially mm-hmm. you know and i've watched that progression as a child i would like go to school with her i would help her put up bulletin boards um and, you know, help her with grade, you know, classwork. I would pilfer through all her, you know, Christmas presents that she would get from her class, <laughs> her students. And like, all right, I want this. I'll I take want that, this, take that. You know, exactly. Um, and so, I, you know, I really am truly an amalgamation of both my parents mm-hmm. in that I am an educator. I'm a teacher. I know that for sure. I'm an artist also. I'm a creative. So I really have sort of both of their amazing characteristics. And that just speaks to very, just high level of them, their character, who they are, because yeah. really um, they're leaders and they are um, really important and, 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 you know, vital people in my life and my development. You know, as, as they say in the South, you come from good stock. I do. You, I re- do. you really I do. do. I've had the pleasure I of really meeting do. your father and your uncle because they both supported oh. you at CAU. Oh, I, yes. I don't know if it was the same one that introduced your parents, but remember your father no. and your uncle, they remember when we did our first fashion show together? Yes. And they, yes. they were right there. I mean, they fell in line under Nia's leadership in a way Direction. that you would have thought. Yeah. <laughs> in a way that you would have thought they were like hired contractors, right? They were. <laughs> I paid them in food. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> food is currency. Exactly. In college, no, food no. Is currency. Exactly. No, yeah. you know what? Um, and we could get into all of that, right? That whole fashion show experience and being the director of that show and really setting the vision and my father being the creative that he is mm-hmm. really looped in um, his good friend. He's actually not even my birth uncle, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but he's actually a really known um, local photographer at Wilfred Harewood and he's mm-hmm. done all the major events and done a lot of things locally here in Atlanta. Um just good people. And yeah. that's the kind of person my father is in that he has had longstanding relationships with people and could call up people really in pretty much anywhere in the world yeah. and like have some connectivity point in some way. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So, Sonia, let's, we're going to get to CAU, which we have to because it's the anchor of the Atlanta University Center without Clark Atlanta University, it would just be Atlanta Center. 
Facts. Boom. So listen, let's tell me about high school for you, right? Because making the decision to continue your education in the South, even though your mother's from Mississippi, which I was not aware of that. That's really Mm -hmm. awesome. To make it to make the decision to continue your education in the South, we you know, the AU, AU Center was competing with a lot of other great institutions for your attention, right? Like oh, you yeah. went far away from yeah. home to, I did. yeah, what was that? What went into that? Like who, and who helped you to influence, who helped to influence that decision? No, I always say my best friends, you know, myself and I, me, myself and I, we made that decision, you know, I get, because I grew up in New York. I grew up with the pace, the energy, the, the, um, the fervor. I needed a change. I personally wanted to get out of New York City. I think one of, and I remember this very clearly. (laughs) Um, I remember getting on the train in high school, probably my senior year. Likely it was my senior year. And I remember there was a pregnant lady that also got on and it was crowded. It probably was rush hour or something. And um, I watched these grown men and just people, period, watch this pregnant woman stand up when their able bodies were sitting very comfortably. And I was just so disgusted and just so like, you know, what is why wouldn't you extend yourself to this person? And it just spoke a lot to like New York sort of like, the irony is that New York can band together when we want to. And we've seen that at like 9-11. We've seen that with Hurricane Sandy. You know, we've seen it in many, many instances. But also this sort of very sort of solo energy and like I'm looking out for me kind of thing. And I think I was just really turned off. So I was ready to go. I was ready to get out of New York City. So I really was very close to going to North Carolina A&T. Okay, you were going to um, be an Aggie. I was going to be an Aggie. Gee-ho. Um, you know, greatest yeah. homecoming on earth. That's what they say. <laughs> Oh, is that right? Oh, oh yeah, that's interesting. They don't play. Jiho is a it's a religion. It's a religion. Yeah. If you're an Aggie and you don't go to Jiho, you're not really an Aggie. What the heck is Jiho though? What is So it stands for greatest homecoming on earth. Are you serious? I oh, didn't even know that. The entire the entire city shows up to homecoming. I don't even think they have church service. I don't I think daycares shut down. I think the police even show up to Jiho. That's how intense it is. And it's, oh, interesting. And it's true. It's true. It's one of it's well, I would say one of the greatest, but it's probably next to Howard, I would imagine. I would imagine. But they they hold true to that. They will fight. Oh, you interesting. If you're like, what is, you know, what do you mean? You're the greatest oh, homecoming. Have you been to mine? Oh, no, they will beat you up. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, out. I was very, I mean, I gotten in, you know, that was, but I really wanted to come to the AU Center. When I was younger, um, I re- it was all about Spelman for mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm. But then when I visited, um, Clark Atlanta was just more aligned with my, who I was. Mm-hmm. It just had more swag. It just felt like more aligned with just me. It felt more like where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately they agreed and accepted <laughs> me. I love it. <laughs> And, um, yeah, that's, you know, that started that college journey and where we met yes. and fell in love, as you said. And fell in love. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, so welcome, welcome to the A. What was your first, your first week? Or, well, let me ask you this. You, had you been to Atlanta prior to the AUC visit? Yeah. You had, okay. um, you know, well, well, here's it. And I, I didn't even touch on college. I mean, on high school, because really, you know, I've actually talked about this in, you know, interviews before and just shared mm-hmm. my, my experience with high school because um, high school for me really set the um, help to set the trajectory of my career as far as being a marketer is concerned. Because okay. when I, um, I went to a school called the High School of Fashion Industries in New York City, it was in, a, uh, in the community of Chelsea. 
Um, and, you know, it really was a business high school. You know, I was surrounded by creatives and artists and all the things because we had a graphic design department. We had a fashion design department. We had, um, and I was part of the merchandising department, like, you know, fashion merchandising. And so we had all of the, you know, standard sort of coursework that you would go through any high school. But we had these specialized classes that would give the students exposure to this, you know, multi-billion dollar fashion industry and those experiences were life-changing for me because like so i don't know if you've heard of or most i don't know if most schools public schools do this where um there's like principal for the day and like you'll have somebody come in and they'll guest you know be the guest principal well we had kenneth cole as principal for the day we had yeah we had we had like (laughs) editor-in-chief of Vogue magazine come in and be, you know, uh, principal for that day. So we had very high-level exposures. Our career days were bananas. Like, we had Tommy Hilfiger reps come in. Like, it was a real thing because we were really a fashion school. And so we had all of those connections and and those um, real-life touch points. Um, So, you know, one of the things that I was able to do was really learn business at a very early age. I understood because at my high school, we had a boutique a school boutique, and then we also had a school store. So in the boutique, um, all of the fashion design students, we did this annual, and they still do it um, from what I believe. They do an annual fashion show, which, you know, showcases the students' designs. And then we get, you know, we get real industry people that come and just see the students' work. And we do a whole fashion show right in the auditorium. It's really a big deal. Um, And so those fashions are all sold in the boutique and like other little things as well. But the school store was really a classroom. Um, And as a merchandising student, part of my responsibility was to go out into the wholesale districts of New York City. We were given budgets um, and we were tasked with buying at wholesale rates um, because we had like, you know, the passes to do so. You have to have a certain license to do so Um, and buying goods like, you know, little chopsticks for the hair and little clips and little, you know, thing, little tchotchke things that teens would want because we understood that market, right? Understanding who your market is. And so we would go out, we would have a budget, we would go buy things and um, come back, mark them up at, you know, um, rates, I mean, at, you know, um, markups that would really sell. And that was part of our learning. And so um, I had those real world experiences very early in my career. And so when it was time for me to look at schools, I really, first of all, it was really about location. I wanted to leave, um, I wanted to leave New York City. I was also like a different world was my favorite show growing up. So I knew I wanted an HBCU (laughs) experience, Um, literally was my favorite show. And so I wanted, I wanted an HBCU experience and I loved Atlanta. I loved the growth of the city. I love what it, you know, I love ATL, like the whole thing, not the movie, obviously it was before, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was was after me, but um, I really enjoyed the city. And so, yes, my mom and I came down for like, you know, college tour and we did the whole thing. Um, I remember being in the hotel when we first got here before, you know, um, before I actually moved to Atlanta. Um, And I remember listening to like all the, like the super ATL music and like all the pop and all the, you know, all the twerk songs and all of that. And it was just really like, oh, I'm in ATL for real. Like I'm really in Atlanta. (laughs) They even played at the airport. That's how, that's how, oh yeah, yeah, trap music has made its way. It's, you know, it's come it's come, but this wasn't even trap. This was like, I don't even know what they call it. Was this like Booty Shake? the booty music, right? Oh, exactly. Oh, like, yes, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like way before trap even was like on the radar, you know. So um, that sounds crazy old, but by, by the way, but yes, this was before trap, and so um, 
at least what, before it was branded as mm-hmm, trap music, right? Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, and so, but I, I love the city and yeah. I loved it. I loved, actually, I did love Spelman, but I really preferred Clark Atlanta. So that's how I ended up here, um, just period. Nia, your, your high school experience is what a lot of students get in undergrad. And it's, yeah. it's very similar to, so our resident sociologist, Dr. Tara Taylor, she grew up in Berkeley and her high okay. school had a African-American studies department. So by the oh, time she made it to Howard, she was like, are we still talking about this? Right. No, she was so 100%. beyond prepared. And it sounds like it's the same, same experience. Yeah, a hundred percent. Because as a fa- I was a fashion major when I came down to Atlanta. And you know, I got a lot of feedback like, why would pardon? Why would you leave New York City to be a fashion major in Atlanta? I'm like, I just wanted to go where I knew where I wanted to go. And all the other things would have come afterward. Right. So um, I remember in my classes, I would really have one. Like I would go sit in my professor's offices and my fashion, you know, the press, professor's offices. Like, can we, can we go over other things? Because I know all this stuff. He was like, all right, well, what you? No, really, I would. I'm like, can we talk about like? I don't understand why we go. And he's like, I understand you, but no one has had the experiences that you've had. Like, they don't understand where you're coming from. Um, and so I engaged in other ways. Like, I remember I was. Um, of course, I, I I don't know if I was the the president of the chapter, but I led like a um a, a like a an organization. I man, I wish I could remember the name within the fashion department, and I would bring in speakers and like we would have panel conversations, and um you know I really sought out other ways to engage with school and like learn new things and meet new people. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you know I've already learned a lot of the things that was like base level in in the fashion department. Man, you were you were so far beyond beyond your classmates, which naturally that puts you again into leadership. Right. Because I'm sure that you had classmates that were just looking to hear of your experiences. And in addition to hearing of your experiences, also being led by you because you'd already done so much. I mean, the fact that and it sounds similar to my high school. So my high school, North Atlanta High School, we had a student store that was headed up or Mm. ran by the international um, those who were in IB. Well, not IB. They were like international business. IB is international baccalaureate. But they were like in the business, I guess, magnet program. And they would just just similar to you. I'm sure they were purchasing it at wholesale prices and then, you know, market it up mm-hmm. for a profit and just kind of learning the business of running a business, right? Yeah. And making those tough decisions and it was staffed by students. And, you know, so if you, if you ran, if you ran out of ink, if you need a paper, you need a new book bag, you could get all this stuff without having to leave the campus. Right. And, and which was, I thought it was an amazing way to introduce students who had a demonstrated interest yeah. um, in particular areas to introduce them to that field from the, pres- from the position of a decision maker. Because of it wasn't but just, at the time you didn't mm-hmm. know though you, you had no idea you don't recognize yeah. it of course not you just think you're going and it was fun mm-hmm. right exactly. so it was a way for us to engage and I'm sure for your high school as well it was just fun it was mm-hmm. like okay there's a way that you can you know you have to buy the things and then you have to mark them up and then you have to sell them and engage in the store and with then how the do customers. you market it right like how do you how do you even query your customer who is your customer right what's the profile of your of your because what is what a freshman what a freshman is willing to spend money on, it's not going to be the same as a senior. Mm-hmm. Right. And of course, you know, you could have there, you know, there are multiple um, producers of pens. So a professor would be looking for, you know, a higher branded pen than a student who's just looking for something to get through the day. Like a 10 exactly pack of big. Right. right. Yep. Um, 
This is this is really fascinating. So but but let's talk about on the other side. I, I like I like where you're going with it. I'm still trying to understand, like, how were you able beyond being the leader of, of the student group? How were you able to get from CAU or just get from your college experience, which you needed because you did. Right. And then that's when we met. Right. So you did. And I think that I think that, you know, young people who are considering school, there's so many other factors that that go into that decision. And there are factors that should not be primary. Right. They should not be at the very top of your list that if it doesn't have this and I'm not going. And of course, experience leads us to that because we made those mistakes. Right. But if we think about parents who are listening to this conversation what are the other inputs that they need, right? Let's talk about that on the other side. Hey, if you're just joining us, I'm here with my podcast coach. And I mean, that seriously, this <laughs> young woman stayed on me. It was like, just push record, just push. stayed on me. And if it wasn't for her, I don't think that I would have had the courage to go live and really appreciate you all joining us. This is Nia Perry, originally Nia Phillips at CAU. Of course, we know CAU is the anchor at the Atlanta University Center. Just had to put that plug in there. On the other side, we're going to be talking about kind of those inputs that were that were necessary because you got a New Yorker coming down and deciding that the Atlanta University Center was for her. And then life flourishes even further outside of that. So join us on the other side. We'll see you in a bit. I don't want to do this. It'll be great. I'll be scared. Just think how glad you'll be when you're all done and maybe we'll all go to McDonald's. I'll be glad when I'm done. I'll be glad when I'm done. I'll be... (sighs) Think McDonald's. Oh, I wish I were already there instead of here playing this song. Oh, I would have a big chocolate shake, a cheeseburger, and also, whoops, and also fries. And I would eat my fries myself and not give any to my dumb brother. Hands off and mine off mine. Oh, boy, my recital is almost done. It wasn't bad. I'm still alive. And now I can have my chocolate shake, my cheeseburger, and also whoops, and also fries. Hi, and welcome back to Small Talk Big Names with your host, Nijer. If you're just joining, I am so excited to introduce you to Miss Nia Perry. Nia, originally Nia Phillips, is my podcasting coach. And what I mean by that is she's been tested and tried in a podcasting field. She had multiple seasons with her podcast and she's a marketer, right? Which means that she knows how to talk to your ideal audience. So Nia, before we go into and talk about kind of the considerations that you that you made when choosing Atlanta University Center, because at the end of the day, people are going to say, if you want, just like someone told you, if you want to go into fashion, you're in the heart of it here in New York, right? And I think that some of us have to be honest when we say, you know what, I was a small fish in a big pond or I was a big fish in a small pond. Right. And I needed mm-hmm. to get out in order to really test out my muscle and see if this is really working and sticking or am I just having a good time with some friends. Right. But before we get yeah. into that, how can people find you? Ah, uh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I want people to find me. <laughs> That's the question. Because like, people, people are going to have at, people are going to have questions, right? Everyone yeah. wants to meet an accomplished marketer. You're so great. Okay, well, you're happy. Well, you're <laughs> welcome <laughs> to connect with me. It's probably best right now on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Um, Nia Perry, you can find me, and I'm sure you'll plug the links or whatever Absolutely. you do. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and I'll just say this. I am not a podcast, a podcast coach. For I hire. have <laughs> for, okay, fair, fair. I'm not a podcast host coach for hire. Um, but I am a coach, but mm -hmm. that's another conversation. But no, you can definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, to, to meet and greet all of you. So say hello, send me a message, connect with me. I'm happy to connect with all of you. Thank you. I appreciate that, Nia. So let's get back to it. You're in New York City. If you want to go into fashion, get lost there. You said, you know what? I want to, I want to swim upstream. Right. I want to swim upstream. People are coming here. I want to kind of get away from that and really test these muscles. What are some inputs that went into that decision? Yeah, I don't think that happened for me or I didn't okay. have that realization about moving to New York, about people wanting to be in New York City until mm -hmm. I was in my 20s. Mm -hmm. That was when a lot of my friends, you know, after college were like, I'm going to New York. Right. So that didn't happen for me. At least I didn't have that context as a as an 18 year old, like, mm -hmm. oh, people want to be here. I should stay here. I needed a change of pace. Mm -hmm. I needed to, I needed to spread my wings. I needed to get away from home. I need not needed to, but I wanted to, right. Mm -hmm. I wanted to grow, grow myself, grow as a young woman, um, understand more of the world. Um, I tell you, my family is, you know, sort of multicultural black, but still, you know, from different cultures. I grew up in that salad bowl of, of, you know, New York city where, um, I just was accustomed to every culture, every experience, but I wanted to go somewhere else, right? So I haven't done the Southern things. So I was like, let me go to Atlanta. I just want to experience the city. Um, and again, I was really heavily influenced by sort of what the HBCU experience was from a different world, which I attribute a lot to, you know, just my interest in, in, in HBCUs. Um, but it really wasn't, I didn't have a whole lot of thought process with it, honestly, this year. I just enjoyed the school. I enjoyed um, Atlanta. And that was really the extent of it. You know, I didn't even know really what I wanted to do with my career. Um, I learned later that I was genuinely a marketer because of my natural interest in people and my natural curiosity about what makes them tick. Um, which is probably why I'm a good coach in the ways that I do it, because I'm just curious about people. And so that's really what led me um, just kind of having that awareness of, you know, not having that awareness, even as a young woman, but coming down to Atlanta, I just was open to, you know, the whole HBCU experience, specifically the AUC experience, which is really unique mm -hmm. um, to many other HBCUs. Mm -hmm. I, I have to say that I appreciate you saying I don't I didn't know what I wanted to do. I think a lot yeah. of young people, they do kind of get caught up in having to clearly define what they're going to yeah. study, who they're yeah. going to be once they get out of there. Right. Yeah. And they lock themselves in. And that's one of the greatest things about I don't know, we keep plugging the AUC. But the greatest thing about the AUC, in my opinion, is that once you are accepted to either Spelman, Morehouse, Clark Lane University, ITC, Morehouse School of Medicine, Mars Brown, you are actually accepted to Mars Brown, Morehouse School of Medicine, ICT, um, Clark Lane University, Spelman. You are accepted to all of those colleges and the university at the moment that you're accepted to one. And what I mean by that is cross-registration is real. And if you're smart and strategic, you really could complete all of your core classes at an institution and pay less somewhere else, right? 100%. If you yeah. want to do a five-year master's, we have relationships with Georgia, with Georgia Tech. So a lot of our engineering students started, they, they got the best of both, right? They, yeah. they went in to and, and got the HBCU experience and then graduated with their master's in like a year from Georgia Tech. It's amazing. And, and so, so yeah, for, I, I for students who don't take that. advantage of it, they're really leaving 
opportunity and experiences on the table. A hundred percent. And, you know, for me, um, I literally had friends from all of the HBC, mm -hmm. I mean, from all of the AUCs. Like mm -hmm. I had friends at Spelman. I had friends at Morehouse. Mm -hmm. I had friends at Morris Brown, obviously not in the um, in the, the uh, theological uh, mm -hmm. school mm -hmm. um, or really yet in the Morehouse School of Medicine. I've, mm -hmm. I've since, you know, met people along the way that have gone there. But that core sort of four group, you know, four colleges, um, right, Clark Atlanta University, you know, Morehouse, Spelman, and Morris Brown, mm -hmm. I literally had friends from all of them, and we would all kind of hang out. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. there was no difference. I mean, all of that sort of facade of, you know, sort of this elitist attitude around some of those schools was really not present for mm -mm. me. Mm -mm. Um, and I took, a, you know, I took a dance class at Spelman. I went to so many things at Morehouse that, you know, I attended, you know, poetry slams and different events at Morehouse because I had friends there and we yeah. would hang out. Yeah. So it, for me, that was the, it, that was such the rich experience of going to um, Clark Atlanta. Mm -hmm. Many of my friends, again, from were from all over those from all of those schools, and so we would all hang out, and it, there was no difference. There, there was we were right. all the same. Yeah, and so you know that was the richness about that experience, and really, um, you know, you you don't have that level, and I would say the differences as far as HBCU and like PWI, primarily uh, white institutions, mm -hmm. is that. That level of racism and that level of otherness that you experience in the real world um, is just not present mm -hmm. in an HBCU, right? Mm -hmm. um, that layer of pressure that you would experience when you get, again, out into the workplace, mm -hmm. you're not having to fight that early in your life. And mm -hmm. so you, feel, you, you build up in a way that amplifies your brilliance, amplifies who you are as a Black person, as a as a and it wasn't just black people, obviously, right. but as a as a person of color, more mm -hmm. than I did not. And uh, as an immigrant, we had so many immigrants mm -hmm. from Africa. We had so many immigrants from the Caribbean, you know, and other regions um, in the world that were so grateful for the opportunity. Mm -hmm. Just had a uh, had a, another layer of um, because they had an acceptance that they would not have had at a PWI. And that's the truth, yeah. you know? Um, and, and I'll say for Morris Brown, for all the challenge they've had, Morris Brown gave opportunity for people who didn't have opportunity. Right. Morris Brown, I know a guy who was brilliant, um, went to Morris Brown, later went on to Harvard. Mm -hmm. Like this is the caliber of education that mm -hmm. he received, mm -hmm. but then also understood that he could leverage the opportunity. He could afford to go to Morris Brown. You know, mm -hmm. that was a school that people could get into without much of the hassle. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, and, and so that was heartbreaking to see all the, all the drama and the challenge that they experienced as an institution. But, um, you know, this was such a rich experience for me that I'm very grateful to have, you know, participated in, in my life. It really was. Yeah. And I, and I think we, we have to separate administration from students, right? I think oftentimes we do kind of put them all into the same bucket because we're, we're really looking at the institution as a whole. But when you, just like you stated, you know, again, it goes back to, the the investment and that gives you the biggest bang because yeah. attending Mars Brown, welcome to CAU, welcome to Morehouse, welcome to Spelman. Similar to you, mm -hmm. my minor was at Spelman. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, yeah, Japanese cool. studies. It started at Morehouse and then they moved the program over to Spelman. I graduated with a minor from Spelman. I took I didn't many know that. classes at Morehouse. Yeah, I even I did my all my study abroad was with 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 Spelman because they oh, had the neat. new um, I don't know if it's Cosby Hall but the new International Center. 
and they were looking for students outside of Spelman to take advantage because the the opportunities were just there right of course the pouring in of funds and and influence and interest and all of that you know I took courses at Morris Brown I'm you know I was in I was in the mass media department which meant that if you wanted if you thought you were the next Spike Lee who went to Morehouse but studied at Clark Atlanta's in that's right. Atlanta's media program. That's where that's you right. were. That's right. I mean, honestly, you know, really, and I, I, this is probably true for a lot of the larger HBCUs, I'll say. But like, when you think about really who we went to school with, like undergrad, like, I mean, we were on the, on the strip on the yard with DJ drama. And, you know, like these were like these Valicia but- uh, Butterfield Jones yes. who really runs who's over at the, um, what is she over at uh, Oscars, but the Grammys right the now Grammys, or something yeah. like mm-hmm. she runs, she's co-CEO or CEO of the Grammys. Like, you know, like we really were exposed to people early in their careers. Yes. And like, I have, a, you know, people who are doing phenomenal things right now who all started at the same place where you are really literally doing, you know, going to class, hanging on the strip, like mm-hmm. doing the things that, you know, that we do as Eating college as students. Eagles. All of the above, those wings. Come if on, let's talk about it. You could make it through a meal at Seagulls, <laughs> then you were prepared for Peace Corps service. Yes, the wings <laughs> or pops. Do you remember pops? Oh yes. Oh. Pops was like this gentleman. He had to be in his eighties, honestly, and he had the one little house left on that yes. block. Yes. That had not been sort of bowled over and run over from he the developers. He refused to move, yeah. And did not want to move. Mm-hmm. And the students really took to him. And yes. I would go sit with Pop and talk to him. I don't know if you had, like, chances to do that. But I would, like, go sit on Pop's porch and, like, talk to him. Yeah. And he would just have just this wealth of knowledge and this sort of, you know, he had no teeth whatsoever. Yeah. But he had this joyful just life. Joy. And just was yeah. so sweet. You could barely understand him. But, you know, he just had a... He had a, a zest for the life and loved those students, you know. And so those are the memories that I recall from school. Yeah. And I think people wanted that, right? Because a lot of a lot of yeah. um, the students were from outside of the South, right? Um, Correct. And or, or even outside of Georgia and just wanted kind of something that was familiar where you could just you could share the porch and watch the day go by. It's so true. Yep. And just slow Very down, true. especially when you're stressed out about classes, you're stressed out about relationships, you're stressed out about funding, so on and so forth. Okay, yeah. so I got a camera, and I think I got it from like a pawn shop. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was hanging out with this guy who was a student at Morris at Morehouse, and he's like, mm-hmm. "Hey, you should take a picture of me." So I took a picture of him. I printed it out, and he really liked it. And he's mm-hmm. like, "I'm gonna be in the Morehouse um, fashion show. Do you mind mm-hmm. taking pictures of me?" And I was like, "Yeah, sure." Mm-hmm. Well, of course, if he's in a Morehouse fashion show, there's others from the Atlanta University Center who are also in a fashion show. That's right. And that's where I met Ade. Ah, neat. Okay, cool. And I was, you know, we knew each other from CAU and I was just like, you know, I took some shots of you. I'm going to get them printed and give them to you. When she saw my work, she says, listen, I'm doing CAU's fashion show and I want you to be my photographer. And that's how I Love got it. into photography. Now, mind you, I, t- I took a class or two in high school for 35 millimeter okay. photography. Um, okay. So, so I was comfortable with the, with the printing and just kind of the development process, right? But I didn't mm-hmm. realize that people would actually like my stuff until Ade validated it. And yeah. when she validated it, that's all it took. Because she was the hottest thing on campus, right? When it came to modeling. I mean, stunning. 100%. Yep. Stunning. People, of course, mm-hmm. were intimidated by her. I wasn't because she she mm-hmm. saw me as her photographer and we mm-hmm. hung out outside of arts and fashion. 
right? Right. So she's doing, she's preparing for the show and she introduces me to you. And that's when you were doing the jungle, the jungle book. Oh, the jungle book. And that's what we fall in love. So I got to tell you, let me tell you. So, so, so Nia's in charge of the, Nia and your crew. Let me say that because you definitely had, you had a crew behind you. You had so much support. I think there were three of you that were yeah. actually all co-directors, right? You, Michelle, and um, Mo. Glamo, correct. Glamo. I'm he sorry, Glamo. By, he goes by Glamo now. He goes by, by Glamo. Glamo now. Yes. Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. So the three of you together really put your heads together and put together, put on a production that yeah, blew everyone's mind away throughout the Atlanta University Center. And like, seriously, no joke. I mean, you yeah. literally walked in thinking that you were in the rainforest. You all transformed the gym, yeah. Henderson Gym, yeah. into the rainforest. You had cheetahs. And we did. <laughs> I mean, and then yeah. um, what's his name was your MC? Um, I see him. He he he's yeah. passed away. He's passed on. He has. Yeah. I yeah. can't recall his name, yeah. but I see his face. And he was. Yeah. I mean, he was. He would say. He would say it's gonna get severe. Yeah. It's gonna up get severe here. up in here. Up in here. Yes, and I mean, you really yes, felt yes, like it's so yes. severe up in here. Yeah. No. Yeah. Because he brought that ballroom experience. He did. And yeah. He, he was. Amazing. He brought. He literally. He used to run the balls like in Atlanta. Like I forgot what ball he was, but he had a house and everything. And. He brought all that energy, and I'm so sorry that I can't. And you know who? My dad remembers him, too. He's like, I remember that guy, and he has to have a, you know, he was very flamboyant, but he was very, like, <laughs> and, you know, so he, like, because he just had this um, zest for life and this just sort of this, you know, super swag and personality he, that added so much to the show. He really did. You know? And, and why are yeah. we blanking on his name? I know we both see his face. He he's, he totally passed away a while ago, but he was yeah. he was a force. And his thing was, it's yeah. going to get severe. And you just felt it, right? But, but, yeah. but you know, but, but coming <laughs> in and by, by way of um, Ida's introduction to her crew, because you all were a year ahead of me, right? Okay. By way so. of her introduction to, of her introduction of me to her crew, you all instantly accepted me. Now, what does that mean? I was a student athlete. So the social life was kind of missed on me a bit because I was spending so much time practicing or studying, mm -hmm. right? Because mm -hmm. as a student mm -hmm. athlete, your job is to maintain your GPA. That's your job, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I didn't have that. So for me, this is my, my, um, my thing, right? Photography. And I was doing mm -hmm. it because I wanted to. And I just happened to get some really great shots of one of mm -hmm. the hottest models on campus who was just an amazing person who's mm -hmm. like, I want you to be my photographer. Now, whatever that meant to her, I'm pretty sure it meant something totally different for me because I was like, oh my God, I get to hang out with you. Right. And then she introduces me to her, to you all who are the architects of the Jungle Book. And you didn't even question it, Nia. It was like, all right, Ninja, come on, let's do this. This is what we're doing. I was invited to mm -hmm. meetings, behind the scene meetings. I was a part of, I mean, I was being thrown into every piece of it. Nothing was hidden from me. Like I wasn't, yeah. and, and I was the underclassman, right? So I, it wasn't like, oh, she doesn't need to know. I was be, from work on campus to apartments, to different homes, to cafes, yeah. wherever you all were, I was. And it was almost like it yeah. became expected that I would be there. And I was just a photographer. So then in comes your daddy. And his friend <laughs> and his right. friend is like, hey, when you um, when you're done shooting, give me a role. I'll, I'll develop it for you. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So he, oh, he developed the whole so thing. Cool. Oh, and, my God. And he gave me feedback that that oh, really, really took awesome. me to the next level. You know, I'm getting expert oh, feedback and not having to. And all I had to do was show up. That's, That's amazing. It. Yeah. And to this well, day. I, yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, first of all, I don't even know if your audience knows how dope you really are, Nijia. First of all, let's, I mean, there's so much with you alone um, that I don't think the audience really is aware of because I'm sure you haven't sort of set that precedent and like talked about all the amazing attributes that you also have. And why wouldn't you want, we, why wouldn't we want you there and your energy and your brilliance? Like, of course we would, like, of course, what do you mean? And, um, that's a funny even story how that even came about, by the way, the fashion show, um, that I don't even know if you have a context to. <laughs> I don't. So, so I didn't even know Michelle nor, um, Glamo, I'll respect his name, yeah. <laughs> his current name. Um, I didn't even know them at all. Oh, um, wow. No, I didn't know them. What happened was Michelle would see me around camp, who also was a beautiful girl and still is, remains. And so she was also a model with Ade. And she would see me around. And one day she randomly approached me. He's like, I love your look. Can I do your hair for a hair show? That's how it came about. And so I'm like, are you serious? I'm very serious. She's <laughs> like, I think you're so pretty. Like, can you do, can I do your hair for a hair show? Because she, she had skills in that in that um, with hair so I said okay yeah so I go to her um her dorm she was staying at the birdcage which is no longer there yeah <laughs> no longer there iconic and iconic I, super iconic <laughs> and um I go and I sit for getting my hair done from a girl who just randomly was like I think you're pretty can you be in my hair show I was like okay <laughs> so I go and I sit and get my hair done for free hello I'm in college of course I'm going of course um and we just start talking about the fashion show and about fashion and about all of that. And of course, I bring up my background and I talk about all my experiences and that kind of thing. And she was like, dope, let's do it together. So it was me, her, and then she brought in Glamo, who was such a character in and of himself. And that's really where it started. So I created the, the proposal to send into the school. Like I did collage, custom collages. And when I see all this digital collage work now, like I used to create physical collages with like cut paper. And like mm -hmm. I created all of these themes within the Jungle Book theme, which is the theme of obviously our fashion show, um, our senior fashion show. This was part of our homecoming experience. A fashion show was like a vital part of homecoming. Mm -hmm. And um, and we submitted it to, you know, the powers that be. They approved us and they said, yes, we were the ones. And we set out to really create an entire literal forest including dancers that had animal makeup. It was crazy. It was crazy. We had the whole thing. So yeah, that was, that was really quite a fun experience for me. It was very stressful. It, was, it took a lot of work and energy and time, but it was worth every moment. Mia, I love that. <laughs> like you pulled it, you all, the three of you pulled it off and you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I mean, did. Michelle is just New York as well, right? Michelle's from New York of by, by way of, yes, by way of Haiti. Um, she's actually Haitian and Nigerian. That's what I thought. Yep. Just as stunning. So welcoming. And of course, you know, I, I say welcoming, but I also recognize that that's my experience. So don't sure. go and see Ade in the street and wonder why she's not giving you a hug, y'all. Don't don't go and see <laughs> Nia in these streets and say, I, I heard you. Can I get a No, that's not how it works. These are these are my the, the, this is how our relationship worked. OK, you know, you also have to be clear with that when people are like, oh, you know, who who did the moving? You know, who were your moving guys? And you give them the information. They, they expect the same experience. It's like, no, no, it's no, no. Have your own. Um, that's right. But but you all pulled it off in, in such epic fashion. And still yeah. to this day, I mean, that's what that's what made that in addition to CAU tennis and 
the mass media arts department and just my fellow students, that was, that was what I wish for every future college student. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you were prepared, Niger. You, you, what you, listen, even then I wasn't engaging with people that didn't have their stuff together in some respect. Right. Mm -hmm, And so, because mm -hmm. this was a big project Mm -hmm, for us mm -hmm. that took a lot of energy and time and work. Mm -hmm. Um, We were only engaging with people that were serious about what they were doing. Mm -hmm. Even at that 20, how old were we like 20 years old? Mm -hmm, I was like, mm -hmm. this is serious. 21. We're going to do this. Too much on the line. Yeah, we had way too much in the mm-hmm, mind. You know, mm-hmm. we had, we had literally, we had, you know, we got sponsorships. Mm-hmm. We got, you know, so money's like my hairstylist at the time. Um, she did all the girls hair for free. Like I had my re- reputation on the line. I really put a lot into it. And so we were only engaging with people that were serious about getting it done. Yeah. Um, but you, I remember, I don't know if you, I'm sure you remember this, but you had a business, a, a quote business card. And yeah, she Ninja Oto. <laughs> Yeah, she Ninja, Ninja who is Niger. She used to go by Ninja as a photographer. Um, you remember Miss CAU was on the cover. Yes. And that was another one of my homegirls from like, you know, way back <laughs> um at Spelman. Yeah. And um, you know, I just remember like, oh, you you got it together, you pulled your, you know, like you were just on top of things. So it was easy for us to, you know, bring you in the loop and keep you engaged. Yeah, and I, I think that's it, right? It's not just it's not just, hey, I can do it. It's also you have to invest in in the things that are gonna speak for you, right? So we go back to marketing. You know, I, I got my car done by the great Ethan Payne, who is still killing it in, in the field of branding, right? And he was one of the premier branding agents in, in Atlanta, if not the Southeast, right? He nice. had, he had um, I think it was iPayne I or iPayne I Creative, and I'm totally mm. blanking on it, but his name was Ethan Payne, and he did my business cards and really was the one that when you're not there, he's like, when you're not there, it has to speak for you. Right. So we're able to get Jeannie from from Spellman because I did a shoot with Mm -hmm. her. Right. Mm -hmm. And that entire crew. And again, it all it was all because I was just there because I had this camera and I decided I'm going to use it. And someone saw it and was like, let's talk. Right. So let's let's fast forward a bit. Um, After the fashion show, I became a part of y'all's crew. And I'll explain that. Right. And I'm going to do my best to explain like 140 characters. I don't remember from the moment after I met you all, I don't remember actually setting my classes. Like going through the course book and saying, these are the classes I'm going to take because there were five, there were about five of you that took an interest in me. Right. And this is when I moved into new rest. So this was my sophomore year now. And it was Ninja next year, next semester. These are the classes you're going to take. These are the professors. These are my notes. Let me give you some, you know, background information on each of them. And that was up until the day that you all graduated. When I say I was a part of the tribe in a beautiful in a beautiful and elevated way, I couldn't have asked for a better experience. When I was, if I needed anything on campus, anything in in the mass media arts department, you all had my back. If I had any question, what am I going to do this? You all had my back, right? Like you took an interest in me that I will, I will forever be indebted to you all for. And it was, it was five, five girls. No one else on my team had that to my knowledge. Right. No well, one else. I mean, I you know carry yourself differently, Niger. I mean, honestly, and you, you tell me these stories and I'm like, I totally don't even remember that like whatsoever. <laughs> I don't at all. And I know you probably were like interfacing with like Trisha a lot and like, you know, some of my other my homies amazing. still. Shout out to she's still awesome. still one of my 
close, closest, closest friends, honestly. Um, but like, you know, you, when you, you don't conduct it, you conducted yourself like us, like our age. So it wasn't, it didn't feel like we were, we're not doing any favors. Like if you were whack, we would be like, okay, go that way. But you weren't, <laughs> but you, but you weren't. So, so of course we're going to help you. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it's that, that's a part of the HBCU culture as well. And I know we keep bringing it back mm-hmm. to that, but I do have a sense that a lot of students, a lot of, um, students of color are going away from HBCUs because I think they've fallen into this diversity trap. Right. Which Where is so bizarre. It's very bizarre. They, they, just like you said earlier, the tools that you will need to defend yourself and to keep mm. you on the leaderboard and to keep mm. you in your seat, you gain that through the HBCU yeah. experience. That's not to say you're not going to have it anywhere else, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. But if you want a concentrated dose of it, of professors who yeah. are going to hold you to task and also hug you when you need it and also remind you that it's not the end of the world, that's what you get. If you want, if you want to be introduced to your future network, right? That you're actually going to lean into, not just, oh, we went to school together. Remember when? No, we're we're working on this together. We're doing this thing in 20 years. We're we're continuing to work and look, look at the impact that we're having. You get that at HBCU. And not only do you get it at HBCU, but I will, I literally, and I don't know any CAU graduate who doesn't actively use this expression. So our school model was, I'll find a way or Mm -hmm, make one. mm -hmm. I use that on a regular (laughs) basis. I actually say out my mouth, I'll find a way or make one. Yeah. And that is really, truly the heart of that school and heart of it, it, it lives in, in the graduates because we just figure it out. Like you think about Bamani Jones, who's on ESPN and like all these amazing people who have done significant things in their career have all sort of come from this mindset of like, I'm going to find a way and make one. Like, I'm going to figure it out. How do I get it done? You know, so that's and I'm proud of that really, truly. So Michael great. Knight. Michael Knight, who was on mm-hmm. Project, oh, yeah. Project Runway, yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael sure Knight was. was like, hey, Ninja, can you be my photographer for these three events? Michael oh, Knight so. did like I had a pair of jeans. He was like, that's what you're wearing. No, it's not. Took my jeans off, oh. took my jeans <laughs> off and put his Michael Knight touch on it. And I was like, this is what I'm wearing now, I guess. He's like, yep. Right. I met Michael Knight, AUC. Mm-hmm. And was his he did our show. When he, he did our, yeah. come on. Yeah, he did the show. He had his, he had his things um, in the show. Um, for us, we had different designers, and he was one of the designers that showcased in the Jungle Book. Yeah. <laughs> just just great people, right? Great people, great experiences. Okay, so let's fast forward. You've graduated. What happens next? But before we get to it, let's go on a break. Yeah. Hey, if you're just joining us, this is the Small Talk Big Names podcast with your host, Niger. I'm excited to introduce you to my podcasting coach. She's not for sale. She's not available, so don't even try it. <laughs> but she is. She did say that she's willing to talk to you via LinkedIn. So check her, check her out on LinkedIn under Nia Perry. Nia is also the purveyor of the Gradient Collective an amazing podcast that introduces you to women from all over the world who are doing amazing things that you possibly need to tap into as well. Um, on the other side, we're going to talk about what happens after CAU and the Atlanta University Center. And then let's get to present day. What's going on? But the real question that I think people want to know is, what's the marketing formula? What's got everybody so hooked, right? If you can articulate that in 140 characters, oh my God, you're going to be our resident marketing expert. I've already put it out there. See you on the other side. Price is a good feeling. Oh, what a feeling to own a Toyota. Durability is a great feeling. Oh, what a feeling. Value and style. 
good gas mileage is a terrific feeling. What a feeling, mile after mile. Oh, what a feeling to drive. Toyota, Toyota. Dependability feels great. Oh, what a feeling. You last bridge, you got it. To get more than you thought. Toughness is a fine feeling. Oh, what a feeling to think that you just a Toyota is a good feeling. Oh, what a to try. Hi, and welcome back to the last segment um, with Nia Perry. Nia, I've learned I, I've learned more about you in this conversation that actually adds to to my idea of who you are. I think you're extraordinary. I mean, you've done amazing big shit, right? And if you ever meet Nia, you would, she doesn't wear it, right? Which is one thing that a lot of people appreciate about you. People who are confident in what they, what they produce and how they deliver, they don't wear it because the work has already spoken for them, right? And just the layers that you've added to it, Nia, it's like... Listen, she's not for sale. She's not for rent. She's all mine. But you can definitely <laughs> you can definitely say hi to her. <laughs> so, Nia, you've graduated from CAU. What happens next? Yeah. So ended up in D.C. Um, at George Washington University. And um, because at the time I really pivoted from sort of, you know, thinking about marketing, although it was admittedly, I don't even know if I was still even really considering marketing as a vertical, as a career for myself. Um, it was really about events, crazy as it may be. Um, and that's really where my interest lies because I was an in, I was interested in design, interested in events and really event design was really what I was interested in specifically during those times. So I had books and books and books of ideas and color palettes and just, um, creative sort of brainstorming, um, notes and just, you know, I still have tons of those type of things because I am moved by, you know, hot shit, just frankly. <laughs> um, I like, you know, color. I love, I love texture. I love design. And so I'm always, at the time, I was really sort of, how does this correlate to an event? How can I take this idea and transform it into something that creates an amazing experience for people? So, you know, I think really having that sort of creating the aesthetic for um, the Jungle Book, help to sort of hone that interest at that time. And so I was like, okay, well, let me go and figure out how to go about getting some sort of certification mm -hmm. or some sort of next level degree in events. And I ended up at George Washington University um, and getting there. This is talks about grace because they had in their business school, they have this sort of event management course uh, certification. And at the year that I was leaving Atlanta um, to go to DC, it was a fir very first year that they had housing because that was my challenge. I was like, where am I gonna stay? Mm -hmm. How am I gonna be able to do it? And it was the first year that they offered housing. So I was able to go to DC. I stayed there in the summer. One of my best friends, Aaron, ended up um, being at Howard at the same time. So I had like a DC hangout buddy. So I hung out oh, in DC cool. for that summer. It was very cool. Um, I had another homeboy that came to visit as well. So we, you know, I had, I had people there, right? So, I mean, it was fun. It was a great experience. DC is a blast um, or in and out, I'd say. <laughs> I don't know if I want to live in DC, but um, it's a great city anyway. 
and um, it really went from there. You know, professionally, my career has gone really in many, many ways. Um, I've worked in really now probably seven or eight verticals, um, and that has been in uh, both in-house and uh, freelance capacity. Um, I've supported, you know, corporations as well as sort of, you know, entrepreneurial endeavors. I've developed my own entrepreneurial endeavors. Um, and you mentioned Gradient Global Collective. That was a pivot from sort of my um, my digital and traditional marketing career, um, having supported so many people in so many ways. I really consider myself like a, I call myself like a marketing Swiss Army knife where I really- <laughs> I love that. I've, I've developed um, a lot of skills and mm -hmm. a lot of things along the journey. And I really wanted to pivot sort of from that um, and ended up really taking on a new challenge with Gradient Global Collective, which is really um, something I'm extremely proud of, even still the energy and the work and the time that I really invested um, in that because it really, it was a passion project. And I'll say that, you know, um, you know, gradient for me was it was a, it was a it was a shift from again sort of what I had done in my career to that to that point and being just a mark not just a marketer but just a marketer right mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. you know I could tell you sort of you know what to do but gradient for me was really exploring more um, and I'll say that it was a call to action that I really felt literally from. Um, um, from having seen the data that black women were growing um, businesses at the, you know, the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. I also saw that the, um, that, you know, women's businesses were growing exponentially just in general as well. And I had just sort of this instinct that I knew that, you know, this growth in, in entrepreneurship was not just happening around, among black women mm -hmm. in America, mm -hmm. that, you know, black women have had to be resourceful and entrepreneurial really around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and that and that could mean, you know, making place for people. That could mean doing people's hair in your apartment, right? But I was really interested in, in businesses, um, Black women-owned businesses from around the world who did not have that sort of shine and the the elevated spotlight that mm -hmm. they deserve to have that were still growing, you know, um, growing businesses in their communities that were facing challenges with, you know, resources and, you know, burnout and all the things that all entrepreneurs experience, mm -hmm. but there was no centralized place specifically for this global community of Black women entrepreneurs. And so... I don't know why I took on that challenge, but I did <laughs> of sort of creating this um, this touch point um, to bring those stories to life. Um, you know, I created, I produced this podcast, Capsule Collection. Uh, we spoke to women in Nigeria. We spoke to women in, um, in um, Haiti, mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. here in America, um, you know, in the UK. And, you know, so like all around, all around the world and really doing incredible things in their local communities. And, you know, really the irony is that some of these women had never been invited to an interview. They had never been asked to share their stories. They had never been asked to kind of give their perspective on business. And yet we all were all black women, you know, culturally, we're not myopic. 
right? We don't have one viewpoint. We don't have one way of going about things. And and culturally, um, we experience things very, very differently. And so I wanted to bring that sort of even that diversity, even within this already diverse group to a a broad audience. And and I did so. Please contact Nia. She's got it figured (laughs) out. But I mean, and and I'm being truthful with that, right? Because we do have a lot of listeners who are recognizing where their gaps in delivery exist. Oh, yeah. Right. And we have to get over this idea. And I'm still in that idea where I have to do it all. Right. Especially with small talk, Mm -hmm. big names, right? Small crew. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, There goes the coach Mm -hmm. in you. But Mm -hmm. but I think that there are going to be a lot of um, audience members who are going to reach out. Right. To yeah. say, am I am I asking the right questions? You know, it, sometimes it starts with that. Like, even if yeah. you're even if you're afraid of being wrong, just ask someone, am I asking the right questions? And that's where you lean into the experiences of others, because oh, the man. response is not going to be, no, you're asking the wrong questions. It's going to be this is what I would ask. This is what this is what I would be thinking about right now. And that's where you start to get closer and closer and closer to that product. That is a true representation of your original intent. Yeah. yeah. You know, I have a lot to say sort of around that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to kind of go a little bit more macro than even like mm-hmm. the questions. Right. Like what you should be asking. You know, one of the things that I learned um, really going through the process of building gradient and and ultimately sort of putting it aside um, at this moment is that. You know, the type of person that I am and the woman that I am and the person that I am in that I am very, I'm, I'm maybe gotten a glimpse of that from this conversation. I'm very determined, very sort of, um, I'm going to get it done. You know, like that is my energy. That's how I, that's how I sort of conduct myself when I'm, you know, launching out into anything into the world. Um, I'm just going to figure it out. Right. Um, that probably comes from my grit of being from New York City and just kind of having a little bit of an edge, a little to myself um, in the best way. Um, but what I've learned more than, oh my gosh, anything Niger is that, you know, and this is probably going to be the conversation just a little bit. You can do and do and do all the things that you want to do in the world. There is not a shortage of things to do and, 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 and levers to pull and, you know, boxes to check, right? Tons of things to do. Um, I think what we need to do a better job of society-wise and culturally is figuring out really what moves you in a way that is beyond uh, working, like beyond the work. What are you here to really do? How are you here to serve the greater humanity? Um, and that might sound very sort of woo-woo-ish, but the reality is that of all the many, many things that I didn't even get into so many things that I've done professionally, um, I've done jewelry, like I've created jewelry. I used to do floral design. I used to do event planning and event design. Like, you know, I've, I've said I've worked corporate. I've worked entrepreneurially. I've done a lot of things. And I found that the fruit that I ought to have perceived wasn't on the back end of all the talents and the skills and the doing that I have. And Mm. that's really where my reset and my transformation has begun. And so that's a no whole that that takes us into another lane of conversation. But it's the reason why I don't even really share. This may sound odd as a marketer, but I don't even really share the work that I do necessarily. I don't even share sort of how I've done these things. I support you as my friend, mm-hmm. but 
you know, and I've done marketing coaching. I had a course, you know, and that still lives. Like I still have a lot of things that I've done. But just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should do it, nor should you, nor is it the right thing for the purpose that you're here to serve. And so mm -hmm. that is the bigger picture that I've learned really from all of this. And it took a major pivot and sort of down spiral in my personal and professional life, frankly, to get to this place of transformation. Yeah, that's that's huge, right? Um, because you wish you could have gotten there sooner, right? If we really think about it, it's like, could I have shaved off five years? Right? Oh, gosh, could I have shaved off seven? Maybe could I have shaved off 30 days? But I think mm. where growth really, where growth is, should be really valuable, it's when you can look back on those five years that you wish you could have shaved off or seven years that you wish you could have shaved off and, and say to yourself, but I would have missed that. That, that lesson, I would have missed that. And, and as we know, you know, it's either going to cost you today or it's going to cost you in 20 years. Either way, there's a tax Today's cost is it may take you a little longer to get it done. If you want to spread it out and wait to learn a lesson in 20 years, compounded interest, right? That's so exactly right. That's it. And you have, you have to decide kind of what can my pocketbook handle? Can I handle taking one step back, identifying clearly articulating my dream or my interest, and now let me test it out in the market? And I don't mean from like a marketing or branding perspective, but let me have a conversation with men and women that I trust and men and women that don't love me. Am I on the right track? Does this make sense to you? If this was a product or a service, would you be interested? I think you're my ideal customer. Are you really that, right? It's that, mm -hmm. that um, customer journey mapping. Even beyond that, Niger, mm -hmm. beyond the customer mapping, what does your life mapping look like? That's, and that's what, what I was about to get at, right? Like it's much yep. bigger than a transactional occurrence. Yeah. Because you, you can do customer journey mapping in your personal life, who you are professionally. Who, are, who do you want to be in your child's life? Who do you want to be in your child's school? Mm -hmm. Who do you want to be in your community? The same elements that lead a business from an idea to a fortune five, those are the same elements and behaviors that if we adopted it in our personal lives, if we adopted it in how we manage relationships, if we adopted it in our social lives, we're more likely to be more successful, right? Because what it doesn't account for are the emotions. And that's the part that's, that's hard. <laughs> you know, it's just this. I was just yeah. about to say the challenge with I'm going to challenge your what you said mm -hmm. and that, you know, we've been taught and this is not just women, just culture has been as a greater, greater culture have been taught to bring a masculine energy and a masculine way of leadership and running businesses and how we should operate in our business, in our, in our work into every area of our life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the reality is if we become more attuned to our, our emotions, more attuned to what we really, really feel without the um, sort of glaze and get glare of the external world, you have a lot more clarity on really what the direction of your life is. And that will save you that five and seven years that you, you mentioned. But to go back to really that initial sort of part of how we started the conversation around social media, we've become so tapped in to what the world sees of us that we have lost, I will say just generally as a, as a broad stroke statement, we've lost that 
unique voice and that specialness that we all have and how we and how that uniqueness manifests into the world has become filtered through what it should be and what it should look like and who we should be and that we should have these platforms and I should have a podcast and I should have you know a pop in social media when the reality is those things do not define you as a character and don't define your worth in the world agreed you know what Nia this was from from a student from a mentee to a mentor this has <laughs> been um I really appreciate this conversation I do and and I appreciate you picking up the phone because you know I called you three times now why do I bring oh, here that we up? Go. because <laughs> here we go <laughs> Nia believe it or not you're actually the first remote interview that we've connected here at the small talk big names podcast Right. Come on now, because you know I'm special, Shardy. We can't. We just That's come it. at you. Can't come at me like regular, regular. Okay. That's true. <laughs> and, and and when you finally picked up, I was like, no, she truly is special, y'all. She she's she actually picked up this time. But Nia, you know, just, oh just the fact that you've been able to kind of carve a piece of your day for us, really, really appreciate it. Um, thank you for sharing how people can get in contact with you by way of LinkedIn. Look up Nia Perry. I just confirmed she's the only Nia Perry that should tell you something. If she doesn't respond in time, it took three calls from the Small oh Talk gosh. Big Names podcast to get her on the phone i just want just put it out there data is i want i want to leave listen i want to leave your audience with something very very just to make it fundamentally clear please do when you say that i am coaching you i'm not coaching you on the tactical part of podcasting right you you've got that covered when you say i'm coaching you what you're conflating with podcast coaching is really my coaching of your belief in yourself and my coaching of your ability building up your knowing your knowing that you have everything that it takes to do whatever it is you want. And so that when I talk about coaching, that is the coach that I am. That is the type of person and the person that I am. So if you're interested in that sort of coaching, I'm always available for that. And actually that is the next phase of my career because um, I'm here to do more than just tell you how to get more traffic to your website, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tell you how to get connect those dots and as far as marketing and create a message that makes sense to your audience. Who I am in this world is here to do more than just that. That's amazing. So, so Nia, like I asked every other guest, <laughs> who is my next guest? Oh, well, um, I'm hoping and I'm excited to introduce my beautiful cousin, uh, Dr. Samantha Connell. Um, she is not just my cousin, but she's a phenomenal family practitioner. Um, she is a really a holistic sort of, um, she takes a holistic approach to her um, patients. And she's got a very interesting perspective on um on vaccinations, she's got an interesting perspective on um, just sort of um, preventative care as opposed to sort of treatments, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and really looking at who you are just holistically and not just um, sort of fixing a problem. So I'd be honored if you could interview my cousin who I love dearly and who's been just a, such a resource and an asset to my life as have you. So love Amazing. you so much. Oh, that that's perfect. <laughs> Listen, if you're just joining us again, this is the close of the show. You've had the opportunity to meet my podcasting coach, and also <laughs> one of the primary influencers of my time in undergraduate. You know, we talked about HBCUs a lot and definitely making a plug for the Atlanta University Center. But I think it's our duty to continue to introduce 
HBCUs to young people because the tide is turning and we do have, we have several schools that have closed down, right? Or that are, that are on the brink of it. We need to bring it back because it really is the, it's going to be the four years of your life that centers you and builds up your tool shed so that you have the tools to compete and combat, right? Because it's getting real. It's getting real out there. Thanks to social media, so much more has been exposed. People feel free mm -hmm even more free to say exactly what they're thinking, right? Yeah. And there's no longer filters and lenses that society goes through. It's you literally can have a captive audience in the back in your back pocket, right? So our students deserve the opportunity to respond appropriately and not live in fear of failure, right? And I think that that's where any HBCU graduate will tell you that's one of the greatest lessons that you will learn. How do you deal? How do you cope, right? But then on top of all of that, you have a family. That wraps up another episode of Small Talk Big Names. On behalf of myself and the entire crew, thank you so much for listening and join us next week for another exciting episode of Small Talk Big Names with your host, Niger.